Good evening. The president arrives in Louisiana to tour Hurricane Ida's damage. New York's mayor announces a new normal. What's happening with abortion in Texas and the fate of a killer of a would-be president? With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Friday, September 3rd, 2021. President Biden was in La Place, Louisiana today to tour damage caused by Hurricane Ida last week, the same storm that dumped torrents of water on New York City and its metropolitan area on Wednesday. He told residents help was on its way. We're going to make sure we have someone coming through here, going door to door, letting people know what's available to them right now because they can't connect online. And with the governor and mayors and members of Congress, community leaders, all the folks that are here, we've been working to get to deliver millions of meals and liters of water. We're working around the clock. This isn't about being a Democrat or a Republican. We're Americans, and we'll get through this together. We just got to remember, we not only have to build back, we have to build back better than it was before. Better than it was before, so when another superstorm comes, it's not the damage done. President Biden. Meanwhile, in New York City, five of the six basement apartments where some New Yorkers died due to flash flooding from the remnants of Hurricane Ida were illegal. That's according to the city buildings department. The apartments, four in Queens and one in Brooklyn, were illegally converted, cellar and basement apartments. A basement apartment in Forest Hills where a person died was a legal basement apartment, according to the Department of Buildings, though. The Buildings Department said inspectors were conducting safety inspections at over a 1,000 properties in the city to assess storm damage. Officials believe the storm caused the deaths of at least 13 people in the city and at least 11 of whom were found in flooded basement apartments. Mayor Bill de Blasio earlier in the day said the city would quickly implement a plan to notify residents of basement apartments in advance of major storms and to have city workers go to known basement residents to evacuate residents if the forecast is dire. De Blasio says the damage from Ida was surprising and greater than Henri, a record breaker that hit the city a week earlier. He says mandatory evaction rules are necessary. The new, new record on Wednesday was much, much greater than what we saw during Henri. What we saw from Ida was a whole nother reality, even beyond what we thought had been a new record just two weeks earlier. This stuff is galloping forward. We're going to have to make massive infrastructure investments on a scale we've never made before, as fast as humanly possible. Of course, the only way that works is if everything that's happening now in Washington actually comes to fruition and the money is moved as quickly as possible. And then we're going to have to deploy everything the city's got and private contractors to keep updating sewer systems everywhere. But it will be a race against time. There's no question. And I know, because infrastructure takes years, that what we're going to have to do in the meantime is acclimate people to things they have not seen before, like mandatory evacuations, like travel bans, that will become, unfortunately, a norm, not a very, very rare exception. The mayor says one of the biggest problems are the illegal basement apartments. It's all part of what he says is a new normal. We can say now that extreme weather has become the norm. We need to respond to it differently. It's even different than just a few years ago. We've got to acknowledge that. The worst tragedies we saw on Wednesday did not happen anywhere near the shoreline. And this is another reality we have to face. And this brings us to evacuation. We have historically thought of evacuation as something to do very, very rarely and only essentially in coastal areas. We've all seen those signs when you drive around the city, coastal evacuation route. Well, now we understand there has to be a different kind of evacuation. 
for folks in basement apartments and in some other areas of the city as well. If we are seeing this kind of rain, we have to have an evacuation mechanism that can reach them. Clearly, we also understand this kind of rain creates overwhelming conditions for our sewer system, and the drains, which means even earlier and more intensive efforts to clear them in advance of a storm. This level of water sewer systems, honestly, are not built to be able to handle. At least we can try and get ahead of it with maximum preparation. We know that basement apartments create a whole set of particular challenges. We are now going to be speaking going forward to people who live in basement apartments. Specific messages, specific uh, cell phone alerts, telling people about the vulnerabilities they face in these kind of rain events. Again, with that door-to-door evacuation as a necessary tool, which we can activate when needed. We're going to both prepare people, but also have a tool we can use rapidly if we get a report of this kind of escalation coming. And we're going to have to assume the escalation. We now understand that this kind of radical, sudden change in weather is beyond the understanding, beyond the reach of any of our typical measuring tools. Things are happening that projections can't track with accuracy or consistency, which means we have to assume the worst in a way we never had before. Anyone in a basement apartment, if you're in any danger at all, call 911 and never wonder if your documentation status will be asked. It will not be. Never wonder if there'll be any threat to the place that you live in if you call because you're in danger. We're going to put together a new set of protocols and policies by Climate Week, and that is uh, by the September 26th week, that makes clear that tragically these extreme incidents are now the new normal. De Blasio acknowledges reaching New Yorkers in basement dwellings will be difficult. The city has estimated that at least 100,000 people live in more than 50,000 basement units. But de Blasio adds those numbers could be much higher since many such apartments are illegal conversions. And in national news, a coalition of abortion rights advocates, clinics and advocacy groups filed a lawsuit seeking to block recent Oklahoma anti-abortion legislation from taking effect. The lawsuit filed in a state district court in Oklahoma City aims to block legislation that Republican Governor Kevin Stitt signed into law in April that is due to take effect November 1st. The law would deem performing an abortion to be unprofessional conduct and place a doctor's license in peril if a complaint were made. Doctors performing abortions also would be required to be born certified in obstetrics and gynecology and abortions would be banned where cardiac activity is detected in the embryo. Any doctor who performs an abortion after cardiac activity is detected would be committing homicide under the law. This comes as the Texas, as the United States Supreme Court has allowed a Texas law to be put in place that basically turns Texans into bounty hunters looking for people who are trying to get a legal abortion and then suing them and are rewarded for their efforts by a $10,000 bounty to be paid for by the state. Marjorie Cohen is a professor emirata at Thomas Jefferson School of Law and a former president of the National Lawyers Guild. She says the Texas Senate Bill 8 bans nearly all abortions in Texas and flies in the face of the Supreme Court's holding in Roe versus Wade. Nevertheless, she continues in a five to four decision. The right wingers on the court refuse to stop Texas law from going into effect. John Roberts joined the three liberals in dissent. 
Although the majority claimed that it was not expressing any opinion on the constitutionality of SB 8, the split indicates that when the high court considers Mississippi's restrictive abortion law term next term, it may well overturn Roe versus Wade. Marjorie Cohen spoke with WBAI earlier today. Real fear and especially fear on the part of women in Texas who may want to get an abortion and their doctors, their nurses, their families, their priests, their ministers, people who help them could be charged with in a lawsuit. And if they lose, they'll have to pay $10,000 plus attorney's fees. It's bribery to get people to act as vigilantes and inform on their neighbors. It's very frightening. Bounty hunters out there looking for people. Yes, absolutely. Once these things start going through the courts, then we'll have a better idea about what's going to happen. Certainly, if someone was charged in one of these lawsuits for aiding and abetting, and that's the words in this Texas heartbeat law, is SB 8, for aiding and abetting a woman in getting an abortion, the defense would be that the law is unconstitutional under Roe v. Wade. And that might be enough to get the lawsuit dismissed. But the problem is, Paul, that next term the Supreme Court is going to review a Mississippi law which outlaws abortion after 15 weeks and squarely asks the court to overrule Roe v. Wade. Five members of the Supreme Court, the five right-wingers who allowed this Texas law to go into effect, are basically signaling that they're going to overrule Roe v. Wade. There's really no other way to read that decision on their part, and that's very, very frightening. Wouldn't this risk setting American against American in a way we haven't seen since the Civil War? I'm afraid that's the case, and we're seeing that now with the vaccines and the masks, the anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers. But I think that this decision might redound to the benefit of Democrats in the midterm elections. It might help them. Probably the first test of that will be the September 14th recall election in California, where the right-wingers are trying to recall Gavin Newsom, who believes in mask mandates and vaccines and other progressive and liberal policies. The leading candidate to take his place is Trump Republican Larry Elder, radio talk show host, who doesn't believe in mask mandates, doesn't believe in climate change, thinks Roe v. Wade is the worst decision ever. Finally, now, for the last month or month and a half, California Democrats are waking up and the support for the recall of Gavin Newsom is declining, but I think you're going to see even more of a decline, at least hopefully, as a result of this abortion case. In the Wall Street Journal today, in their editorial page, the editors there were saying that this was a mistake. They're moving too quickly and exposing their hand too soon in the game. Well, that's true. The case of June Medical, which was decided last term, the Supreme Court struck down a Louisiana law that was identical to the Texas law that the court had struck down before. And that would have left one doctor in Louisiana to perform all of the abortions in the state. And the Supreme Court said it would place a heavy burden on low-income women. Chief Justice John Roberts is now the left wing of the Republicans on the court. And that's because that he is mindful of his legacy. It's the 
Roberts Court. He wants to preserve the legitimacy of the court and its legacy historically. He said in his most recent dissent in this case, what is the rush, basically? He didn't use those words, but he said, let's let it go through the district court and the court of appeals. Let's have briefing. Let's have argument. and Let's consider these constitutional issues. The five right-wingers that allowed this Texas law to go into effect on September 1st, the other day, just did it on this shadow docket where they do things in secret and with no briefing, no argument, not even considering the constitutional issues. And they said, of course, we're not ruling on the constitutional issues. But there's really no other way to read that decision other than they do intend to overturn Roe v. Wade. Marjorie Cohen is professor emerita at Thomas Jefferson School of Law and former president of the National Lawyers Guild. After a Texas law restricting abortion, the one we were just talking about, went into effect on Wednesday, the state's largest anti-abortion group publicized a website that invited citizens to inform on the law's violators. The website, ProLifeWhistleblower.com, which was set up by the group Texas Right to Life, was designed to help carry out the new law. That's because the law places enforcement not in the hands of state officials, but with private citizens who are deputized to sue anyone who performs or aids in abortion in violation of the law. Tips about the law's potential offenders quickly flooded onto the website, which features an online form so people can anonymously submit reports of those who are illegally obtaining or facilitating abortions. Governor Greg Abbott of Texas, who is a leading proponent of the abortion law, was a violator, according to some of the tips. The fictional characters from Marvel's Avengers were also apparently seeking abortions. Other tips didn't point to individuals, but instead contained copies of the entire script to the 2007 animated film movie. The reports, which were obviously bogus, were the work of activists on TikTok, programmers and Twitter and Reddit users who said they wanted to install the site's administrators in fabricated data. Their digital dissent was part of a wave of reaction against the Texas law, which bans most abortions after about six weeks of pregnancy and makes the state the most restrictive in the nation in terms of access to abortion services. President Biden said Thursday the situation unleashes unconstitutional chaos against women. On TikTok, a developer with the alias Sean Black said he had developed a script that automatically generated fake reports to the ProWhistleblower.com website, and the site tried to block him. The developer released a shortcut that allowed anyone with an iPhone or iPad to automatically create a fake report using a randomly generated Texas zip code. Meanwhile, the web hosting service GoDaddy said late Thursday that it had given Texas Right to Life 24 hours to find a new hosting provider before cutting off service. GoDaddy spokesperson Dan Ray said, we have informed ProLifeWhistleblower.com they have 24 hours to move to another provider for violating our terms of service. And California's parole board voted last week to free Robert F. Kennedy's assassin after two of RFK's sons said they were supporting releasing him and prosecutors declined to argue he should be kept behind bars. But the governor, Gavin Newsom, will ultimately decide if Sirhan Sirhan leaves prison. Douglas Kennedy was a toddler when his father was gunned down. He told a two-person board panel that he was moved to tears by Sirhan's remorse and that the 77-year-old should be released if he's not a threat to others. Robert F. Kennedy was the United States senator from New York and brother of President John F. Kennedy, who was assassinated in 1963. RFK was seeking the Democratic presidential nomination when he was shot down at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles moments after delivering a victory speech in the pivotal California primary. Five others were wounded. 
The country wants to move in a different direction. We want to deal with our own problems within our own country, and we want peace in Vietnam. So I thank all of you. Those of you who are here. My thanks to all of you, and now it's on to Chicago, and let's win there. Thank The shooting occurred on June 4th and 5th, 1968. RFK later died at 1.44 a.m. on June 6th, 1968. According to the official version, Kennedy was shot and killed by a lone gunman, Sirhan Sirhan, a 24-year-old Palestinian-born Jordanian citizen who was allegedly aghast by Kennedy's recent decision to send 50 jet bombers to Israel to do harm to the Palestinians. But the magazine editor of Covert Action magazine, Jeremy Kuzmarov, pardon me, the managing editor of Covert Action magazine, Jeremy Kuzmarov, says the official narrative leaves out most of the story and possible accomplices in the shooting of RFK. They just, uh, the magazine, Covert Action magazine, just published uh, his article, Jeremy's article, New Evidence Implicates CIA, LAPD, FBI, and Mafia as Plotters in Elaborate Hit Plan to Prevent RFK from Ever Reaching the White House. Kuzmarov says the RFK assassination was most likely a hit on the emerging anti-war counterculture in the United States. It seemed that Kennedy was very likely killed from behind, and the number of bullets in Sirhan's gun was eight, and there were more bullets expended because five other people were wounded, and Robert Kennedy was shot four times, and there were also bullet holes found in the ceiling and walls, and the position of the shooting was likely behind Kennedy, and he was shot behind the ear, and Sirhan couldn't have done that, and also the distance was closer than Sirhan was, and he had been subdued after he fired the first two shots. The evidence seemed very clear that there were more than one shooter, and something was wrong you know, with the LAPD investigation. How could a jury just ignore this? Sirhan didn't have good representation at the time. He was represented by a guy, Grant Cooper, who was under another felony indictment and who was a mob lawyer and may have been part of the cover-up. He was basically had no defense at the trial. He didn't even bring the coroner on or challenge the LAPD in any way or bring out so much contradiction in the evidence. Why do you think it took so long in this case? The political implications are, in this case, pronounced, and we don't know who is behind the killing, but it seems there are very powerful forces who have a vested you know, interest in sustaining this narrative that Sirhan was the lone assassin. And we've had public officials covering this up right up to uh, Kamala Harris in her stint as attorney general, refusing to reinvestigate the case. Do you think that Sirhan getting parole would be fair? But in this case, yeah, very clearly there's a need for a reinvestigation, given the it's important for the American public to know who actually was behind this. And if there was a, a conspiracy that involved government elements, it should be exposed so that something like this can never happen again. What about the fact that he didn't remember what happened? It sounds far-fetched, like something out of a science fiction story or movie. But we know for a fact that the CIA under the Operation MK Ultra had engaged in mind control experiments. It seemed there is evidence that Sirhan may have been target of these experiments and that he may have been brainwashed or hypnotized. He had no recollection. Some of his behavior was suspicious. He had no recollection, he said, of the events. The way he was behaving led others to believe that something was amiss. The supposed motive for the crime was Kennedy's Robert Kennedy had ordered some jets to be sent to Israel 
But all the candidates in that election were pro-Israel. At that time, the public was pro-Israel and Democrats were universally pro-Israel. So it's not really a good motive. Sirhan hadn't been very political. He hadn't been involved in the Students for Democratic Society. But there are political slogans and statements in the diary that people who knew him believe he would have never written. There's suspicion that the diary was part of this maybe black operation to set up Sirhan as Patsy and brainwash him through hypnotism. It's believed that he may have fired blanks in his gun or his role was as a diversion to give us some shots so everybody would focus on him and then the real assassin shot Kennedy from behind and was able to get away. Are these all linked, JFK, RFK, MLK, Malcolm X? I mean, It's very clear that when there's a crime committed, you have to look who who's the winner of the crime. The political spectrum shifted dramatically because of the assassination of all these figures and it was not by coincidence. And I mean, those assassinations had a huge impact though, in destroying that movement, dividing it and destroying it. It couldn't have been coincidence. The official narrative doesn't hold water and there's very clearly police cover-up involved. Jerry Kuzmaroff is the managing editor of Covert Action magazine. Six of Kennedy's nine surviving children said they were shocked by the vote and urged Governor Gavin Newsom to reverse the parole board's decision and keep Sirhan behind bars. And in more New York City news, Governor Kathy Hochul on Thursday signed bills that will extend New York's eviction moratorium through January 15th and expand the state's rental assistance program. In this new eviction moratorium bill, lawmakers created a path for landlords to challenge whether tenants have been truly impacted by the pandemic in court. This is not in the previous eviction moratorium bill and was one of the reasons part of it was struck down by the Supreme Court in August. Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins says she believes the new bill is stronger. She says we took pains to make sure to address the area that was struck down by the Supreme Court in terms of making sure that landlords have an opportunity to at least have their say and deal with serious, you know, tenant attestation. So, Cousin said, we believe we are on solid ground. Although lawmakers opened the door to allowing some of these claims to be challenged in court, they also set aside $25 million for tenants to use for legal services. Ellen Davidson, a staff attorney for the Legal Aid Society, said the eviction process can at times move quickly, so it would be helpful for tenants to have an attorney guide them through the proceedings. The Rent Stabilization Association, which represents 25,000 small landlords and building managers, say they'll be filing a motion to block the new eviction moratorium law after Labor Day. They'll be asking the courts to uphold last month's Supreme Court ruling. And the city's teachers union says, and this is the final story, the city's teachers union says it's at an impasse with Mayor Bill de Blasio's administration over one aspect of the mayor's school staff vaccine mandate. What happens to teachers who have a medical reason they can't get the shot? Yesterday, the United Federation of Teachers filed a request with the state's Public Employment Relations Board asking them to mediate the dispute. Michael Mulgrew, the union president, said the city's decision is to remove them from payroll. That's disgusting as far as I'm concerned. Mulgrew says the dispute won't disrupt the start of the school year with the mandate not taking effect until two weeks later. He says he doesn't know how many teachers have valid medical reasons not to get the shot, in part because talks broke down before the parties negotiated which medical conditions would qualify. A Department of Education spokeswoman says the city will continue to negotiate with the UFT to reach a successful agreement.
And that's some of the news for Friday, September 3rd, 2021. The news is produced with Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend.